Freedom doesn't need more cheerleaders shouting partisan slogans. It needs thoughtful, principled disciples of liberty. Deep down, we all know that freedom and liberty matter. This is where we discuss why they matter. It's time to elevate the discussion. Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to the Loving Liberty Show. I guess I should clarify at the very beginning of this broadcast slash podcast, my goal anytime I get behind this microphone and crack it open and, you know, start to hold forth is is simply to get myself and hopefully those within the sound of my voice thinking at a slightly deeper level. Now, maybe we can have some fun along the way. I hope we can. But that's my goal, ultimately. It's not to scare you to death. It's not to make you angry or to otherwise, you know, play on your fears or prejudices or anything like that. But I'm going to be kind of a wet blanket to start out today. So I'm just I'm going to warn you right up front. If you if, you, if you've been having fun with the face app, which if you haven't been on Facebook or haven't been on social media, maybe you've missed out on this. But face app is this app that uses artificial intelligence to change your photo and it can make the users look older or younger or swap their genders for instance the big rage for the last couple of days has been people making themselves look older and so my daughter apparently got a hold of this app last night and and i started getting text as did other other members in the family of uh first of all we got my daughter and my grandson and my son-in-law and i gotta tell you this is some amazing software if you had any doubts about uh, the, the potential for artificial intelligence to create very convincing photos, wow, this should put that to rest. It's, it's remarkable. And so pretty soon, everybody in the family, myself included, is like, do me, do me, do me. And <laughs> all I could say is, uh, as, as one friend pointed out, uh, hey, you'd make a good prospector. <laughs> or um, I, I think my, my personal take was I looked at the photo of myself. It really does look like me. I don't quite have a thousand yard stare, but I definitely look like a guy who's seen some stuff in his day, if you get my drift. Anyway, we've been having a lot of fun with this. We've been having a great time looking at what we would look like older. And I'm seeing it pop up all over on Facebook. I mean, it's it's uncanny how you can take even even photographs of my kids who are, you know, in their early 20s. And it's a very plausible rendering of this is what uh, this is what my son is going to look like when he's 70 something. I don't know how to describe it other than just you have to see it to believe it. But, but, here comes the wet blanket. There are some big questions being brought up about what the Russian-owned app may actually be doing with your photos. And I don't know that these are necessarily um, unfounded concerns. See, when you submit a photo to the app to change how it looks, that photo has to make its way onto FaceApp's servers. And it's not entirely clear what's happening when it does, because FaceApp FaceApp has to select and then upload the user's photo to ensure that it can be altered. The change uses FaceApp's artificial intelligence tools, which run on its server. So you have to give the photo over to FaceApp to make it happen. But you may be giving over more than you realize. And that is uh, pointed out in the terms that you agree to when you say that you're going to say, yeah, I want you to take my photo. Make me look old. These terms give the app the ability to use these photos in just about any way possible 
without giving anything back to the users who first created them. Here's what it says. Quote, you grant FaceApp a perpetual, a perpetual, irrevocable, non-exclusive, royalty-free, worldwide, fully paid, transferable, sub-licensable license to use, reproduce, modify, adapt, publish, translate, create derivative works from, distribute, publicly perform, and display your user content and any name, username, or likeness provided in connection with your user content in all media formats and channels now known or later developed without compensation to you. Holy lawyer speak, Batman. That's pretty comprehensive. So in practice, that means that the photo you upload into the app may seem private initially, but these photos could potentially be used in very public ways later on. And the company's privacy policy makes it clear that it's able to collect and store information from your phone and that it might be used for ads or other forms of marketing. Great. Great. I'm likely to show up as hemorrhoid sufferer number four on some commercial somewhere. Thanks a lot. Now, these terms are apparently fairly standard within these kinds of apps, and it's required that such an app will still have some access to photos to fulfill its functions. But so little is known about the app and the fact that it's made by developers in Russia have led some people to warn, hey, be careful, you know, no, look before you leap. Some have also expressed concern about the fact that the app appears to have access to all of your photos when it lets you choose which one you want it to adjust. Now, iOS users... If you want to feel smug, here's your opportunity, because the app actually takes advantage of a feature inside the iPhone software. Though all of your photos will come up as options, the picture won't actually be handed over to the app until you choose which one you want to hand over. All the others will remain hidden. Privacy researchers digging into the hidden parts of the app have claimed there's nothing to indicate that the app is taking all of your images when you submit an image. I didn't realize this, but this app is apparently not just the new thing. It's, you know, the, the trend is it has caught on within the last few days and it's going viral. But the app itself apparently has been around for a while. It appeared in uh, 2017. But despite the feature updates and other changes, the fundamental thrust of the way it uses those photos doesn't appear to have changed. And so if you have, you know, deeper privacy concerns than apparently I've had, you need to beware. It is funny to see, and I guess a bunch of celebrities have taken part in the phenomenon. I first saw it a couple of days ago. A friend of mine in Cedar City posted a picture, and he, and he complained. He said, Man, I look like Santa Claus, and I was just like, holy cow. I haven't seen Brian for a while, but um, that guy looks like he has seen some hard times. He's a young man. And uh, then one other picture started to pop up. Then I realized, okay, all right, it's an app. It's kind of like a Snapchat chat filter, only w- without being true, too dramatic. It, it's, I don't want to say realistic, because I haven't traveled to the future to verify, yep, that's exactly what you're going to look like. Let me just say, it's extremely plausible, the likeness that it renders of what you will look like in 20 or 30 years. And I don't know, it was, it was semi, semi-kind to me. I had a number of people say, hey, you look distinguished. Which I guess is, uh, that's, that's probably better than homely, but um, it really does look like the person whose picture it's based on. And it makes me wonder, you know, forensic artists, you know, when they're trying to determine this child was abducted or this child has been missing for this many years. Here's what we think they would look like today. I think this app would actually do a pretty plausible job of aging a person and, and making it look, you know, 
very, very real. So as you watch your uh, news feeds today, as social media, you know, as it continues to go viral and you see these these photos floating around, have a good laugh. But understand, there are some potential downsides to this as well. And you, you may want to look before you leap. I don't have the app, but my daughter did. So hopefully the app doesn't have access to all of my photos. And by the way, in the back of my mind, just because of the times that we live in, I can't help but have this little gnawing concern that there's some kind of facial recognition goal behind all of this. You know, when Facebook had the the thing, the trend here last year about, hey, here's show a photo of yourself 10 years ago and a photo of yourself today. Yeah, I jumped on that bandwagon, too. It was interesting to see. I'm definitely a lot grayer than I was 10 years ago. But I saw a number of people make a fairly plausible case that, hey, this this could also be a great way to get people to submit their facial features for somebody to store. A digital fingerprint, if you will, of of, uh, you know, facial recognition features. And if you've been paying attention to the news, you already understand a number of government entities, namely state governments, are starting to look at, hey, we would like to have this facial recognition technology on the surveillance cameras, which, of course, are ubiquitous throughout every government building in order to keep people out of, you know, state buildings or federal buildings that we don't want in there. I assume casinos have had this technology for a while, but now government's getting around to using it. And, you know, on the one hand, it may seem kind of harmless. On the other hand, it just seems like another way to turn your identity, your your credibility as a person into a government-granted privilege. And that could be fraught with some danger, too, especially in the climate that we live in. Speaking of which, we're going to talk a little bit about the climate of insanity that is swirling around us. Um, yes, the president's tweets back in the news. By the way, Donald Trump is not backing down. You can say whatever you want about this guy, but he is uh, he is not backpedaling. And oh, I'm so sorry. You know, what can I do? He's he is uh, he's not sorry for what he said. But the cries of, well, it's racist. Everything is racist. I think they have officially, they being his critics and, and social justice activists on the left. Congratulations, guys and gals and thems. I think you have officially made the word racism utterly meaningless because you've applied it to everything, including things to which it has no application whatsoever. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Going to give out the phone number here because I, I plan on hitting a few hot buttons today. If I uh, manage to uh, hit your hot button, I would like to hear from you. 801-331-8113. 801-331-8113. All right. Let's talk about Trump's tweets. Look, I, I'm going to say right out of the gate, he's belligerent. He's brash. He's not playing a nice guy. And, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. It, it is what it is. But to label his tweets 
regarding the four horsewomen, as he calls them, of the apocalypse, um, these four uh, Republican congresswomen who have been extremely critical of certain aspects of not only the U.S. government, but also of America itself. You know, when he says, you know, go back to, to where you originate from and fix that before you come here and try to tell us how to do everything. That's not racist. It's rude. It may be short-sighted, but it's not racist. And, of course, CNN had to double down on their absolutely remarkable stupidity with the headline. President says racist tweets were not racist. (laughs) Wow. Talk about objective objectivity here. These guys are leading the pack. Holy cow. There's a danger in this kind of hysteria. And, and you see it play out in so many different areas. Uh, what was it I was reading about yesterday? Oh, it was uh, uh, Tom Woods had pointed out to, that at the University of Michigan, I believe. At the hospital there, someone saw that someone had been using a spool of rope normally used for medical procedures to practice tying what's called a uninot. Fisherman, you know what this is about. It's how you tie a fish hook on securely. And apparently the person left the knot, the uninot, in place when he returned the stool to the, to the spool to the storage area. So what happened next? Well, a completely non-hysterical, totally rational person discovered the knot and concluded, hey, this is supposed to represent a noose, and therefore it represents a hate crime. Tom Woods, I think, dissected this as, as, as well as anybody. The school, of course, sprang into action. What? A hate crime? Why, here's an opportunity for us to virtue signal. And uh, boy, they went to went to work and concluded, um, hmm, okay, so it's not a hate crime. It wasn't a noose. It was never intended to be intimidating or threatening to anybody. Someone chose to see it as a way, I presume, to draw attention to themselves. But here's what the dean of the medical school said. And, and Tom Wood says, as you read this, as you hear this, keep in mind, we're dealing with a fishing knot. And that the investigation concluded what all normal people already knew. There was no hate crime involved. But this is what the dean of the medical school felt had to be said. Quote, this incident has impacted our entire community and many experienced intense emotional reactions. Our community came together to support each other, reaffirmed our stance against hate and began having open dialogues about this incident and ways to make our community more inclusive. We continue to stand strong as we make it clear to all that this organization, its leaders, faculty, staff, and learners, fiercely values and defends equality, inclusiveness, respect, and dignity for all, and the elimination of discrimination in all its forms. Now, it goes on to say, we appreciate everything we have heard from you in our community conversations. While we have made progress in our journey toward an inclusive environment, our work is needed around more work is needed around sensitivity, empathy and inclusiveness. Our commitment to equity and inclusion continues as one of our organization's top priorities. Virtue signal out. Sorry, that last part I added in. Now, again, I'm just going to remind you. There was no hate crime. There was nothing that was in the least in the wrong here. Why this manifesto about how we are so involved in standing against hate? And and by the way, we don't think cancer is good either. How brave. Oh, how innovative. 
Actually, they haven't actually come out against cancer like that. So we can only assume until we hear it from them that they may secretly support it. Hmm. I don't know. A guy has to wonder, though. As Tom Woods points out, the whole affair is some kind of bizarre mysticism. It's impervious to evidence. It's replete with standard incantations. This is what these are the professionals, my friend. This is this is what we these are people we trust literally with the power of life and death in, in, in hospital matters. And in educational matters, we we trust them to help mold young minds. And this is the crap they gravitate towards. How can someone live that kind of a reality free existence? And still function in today's society. Well, the answer, Brian, is we just have to change the rules and we have to make sure that people understand that we are against this. By the way, this is not just limited to, you know, institutions of higher learning. You want to hear something that should really send a chill through your veins? How about this? The Libertarian Party came out. In fact, I got to read this to you. I want to make sure I get the quote exactly right. (laughs) Because this this is just too bizarre. Connor Boyack tweeted it this morning. Breaking news, folks. The Libertarian Party tweeted, we condemn bigotry as irrational and repugnant. Dang. Have you ever heard a braver, more bold stand than that? Oh, my gosh. I'll tell you what, if they were to come out against slavery, I would consider becoming a member of the Libertarian Party. I would consider just voting straight ticket libertarian if they would just come out and say clearly on the record that slavery is not a good thing. I know it doesn't exist. It hasn't existed, at least in chattel form for, you know, chattel form for like 150 years in America. But if the Libertarian Party would just come out and just take that bullet. In fact, if they would take a stand against cancer, I would likely go ahead and throw my allegiance to them because they would clearly have shown me they are among the most moral and virtuous organizations Known to man. All right, I'm going to turn the sarcasm off here for a moment, but you get the picture, don't you? How ridiculous does this have to get? And and by the way, the people who are calling out President Trump, if they were calling him out for rudeness, if they were just saying, look, you know, you are being really unstatesmanlike. I'd be like, yeah, they're right. He's (laughs) I mean, look. It's his prerogative as a politician to call out other politicians on their politician stuff. And nobody can can convince me that the four horsewomen of the apocalypse haven't been politicking. Of course they have. It's their bread and butter. It's what they do. They're out there speechifying and, you know, otherwise, you know, holding forth about, you know, how, how the evils of America have to be corrected. But when you get to the point where everything is considered racist. And by the way, I guess there was quite the little uh, dust up in the House of Representatives yesterday as they voted to condemn in a non-binding resolution, the president's tweets as racist. Where does this madness end? I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you the direction it's going is not a good one. I feel like we are on a, a collision course with, I don't know, something that looks, looks a lot like Mordor looming in the distance. Let's go to the phone. 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to Loving Liberty. Good morning, Brian. Hey, Sam. Um, I guess the way you would have to address some of these Congress critters that are doing all this stuff and coming up with all this stuff and all this infighting going on, I'm starting to refer to them as the children on Capitol Hill. The children on Capitol Hill. 
Yeah, I would say, yeah. no, I think that fits. Yeah, because they're behaving like children. I mean, the bodies may have grown up physically uh, as far as their uh, their hormones and all that. Maybe not. I don't know. We may not. We may not know the whole story. But my point is, is that they haven't grown up in the brain. Well, and I, I'm trying to think of something I can say that won't sound like I'm taking a gratuitous pot shot at them. But I don't know if they ever had had grown up in the first place or if they've regressed. But I'll tell you what, hang on, Sam. Can you hang with me through the break? Well, we're getting ready to leave, but I just wanted to throw that in there real quick. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Thanks for weighing in. Have a good one. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I, there, there's another level to this madness, and I need to introduce you to that level just so we can again clearly see where this is headed. This is Loving Liberty. We'll be back after these messages. Credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. Man, I just realized I'm really kind of on a tear this morning, so bear with me, if you will. If you want to talk me off the cliff, 801-331-8113. How far can the insanity go? Everything is racist. You disagree with me? That's racist. You cut me off in traffic? Why, you are an unrepentant racist. What else? You forgot to send me a birthday wish on Facebook on my birthday? You racist. Isn't it great? I mean, this applies for everything. Anything that I want, if I need to get my way... This is my leverage. I just tell you, well, what you're doing or what you're thinking, even what you're thinking right now about me accusing you of being racist is racist. Do you see how quickly words just lose their meaning? I think of the guy, what was, uh, I can't remember the character's name from Jurassic Park, the, the fat guy who played Newman. He's meeting with his uh, middleman to negotiate for the stolen dinosaur embryos. And the guy's like, keep your voice down. He goes, I'll watch. Hey, we're stealing dinosaur embryos. See, nobody cares. Somebody had the wisdom to turn that into a meme. Hey, somebody's doing something racist. Someone do something about it. See, nobody cares. That's exactly what's happening. And to, to my friends on the left, and by the way, most of my friends who I think would, would be more left-leaning, I don't think they're this irrational. But unfortunately, there's a lot of folks in the spotlight right now that are this irrational. They don't understand that they have cried wolf so many times. It's it's meaningless. But it's leading to something a little bit more disturbing. And here's here's an example of what that might look like. Uh, you familiar with Chris Pratt? I loved him as Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec. I think far and away, uh, he was the best character on the show. Yes, even above Ron Swanson, who I deeply respect. But Chris Pratt was uh, photographed, you know, by paparazzi. This wasn't like a, you know, hey, he went and posed for this photograph. He's out uh, walking around with his honey, and he's wearing a shirt with an American flag that has the Gadsden snake on there and the words, don't tread on me. Now, look, the Gadsden flag has been around for a long time. And the message behind the Gadsden flag, for those who don't know, is, is I think, a, a beautiful and, and well-spoken message about 
not just for government, but for, for everybody. Don't tread on me, the snake says. In other words, I'm not out to bother you. I'm not going to come and victimize you. But don't mess with me. Leave me in peace would be the other way of putting it. And it was a warning to the British government, you know, don't tread on me. Well, what happens if you do? You're going to find out I have fangs. But those fangs only come into play if you are the one infringing on me. So there's a reason that that symbol has uh, resonated. And yes, I have a Gadsden flag. I don't have a flagpole, so I don't fly it. But it is one of the cherished flags that I have. Because I think it's a, it's a great piece of, it's a great symbol of, you know, American history, as well as just the, the freedom mindset. But you can predict now, can't you, on, on what, uh, what's being said. It was Twitter, not Twitter, um, Yahoo. In fact, it was Yahoo in the UK that came out and said, well, Chris Pratt has been seen wearing a white supremacist symbol. Well, isn't that convenient? So I guess we can safely extrapolate from that then basically anything associated with America's founding, anything associated with patriotism, liberty, freedom, or even just defiance of totalitarian authority is racist. Or here's the other. This is the other backup way that we can say it. If it's not outright racist, it's a symbol that is associated with white supremacists or has been adopted by white supremacists. Well, gee, I wonder if white supremacists drink water. Maybe we should all stop drinking water. In fact, stop drinking any liquids whatsoever because we don't want to be doing the same thing those white supremacists are doing, do we? You know, Adolf Hitler ate bread, right? Yeah, you should probably cut bread out of your diet. Oh, and by the way, I think he was a vegan too. So, you know, if you're looking sideways at me out there barbecuing in my backyard, well... Let's just say you and Hitler may have a little more in common than uh, you may have thought. What a stupid game to play. And of course, the, the idea behind this, the ultimate goal is to shut people up, to create fear and doubt. And, well, I, you know, I don't want to offend people. Guess what? When you are dealing with the perpetually offended, when you are dealing with people for whom offense is a means to an end, it's a means of weaponizing guilt so that they can achieve some form of power or control over you. And when you're dealing with those kind of people, I don't care how inoffensive you're trying to be. You could be the kindest, most Christ-like person on the face of the earth. They're still going to find something to be offended about. I have a theory on why that is. If you're a good person, and I, I mean sincerely a good person, as in you treat other people the way you would want to be treated, you show God's love to the people that, that come into your life. You're a, you're a source of light rather than darkness or anger. That's going to disturb people who really have demons, who, who have inner demons that they are dealing with. Your peace and your goodness will disturb their demons and they're going to take it out on you. And, and yes, I'm, I'm suggesting that the kind of offense that people take that would, would seek to gain control and to manipulate other people is demonic. That's how evil I think it is, because it's all about taking away another person's ability to think or to speak or to, to believe as they wish. It's a great article on intellectualtakeout.org from uh, Brian Freemuth, The Growing Tyranny of Political Correctness and Mass Media. Tell me if this, if this hits any of the right nerves for you. 
He says, have you ever feared that something you posted on Facebook or something you once said to a friend online just might get you fired one day? Many Americans do. The typical American situation is similar to that of your average Chinese citizen. Listen to this. In China, Xi Jinping's totalitarian regime has bound media, social networks, and the economy to the state's surveillance apparatus. It's what they call the social credit score system. Hopefully you've heard about this. The social credit score system uses information gathered from social networks, as well as private messages and emails, to evaluate each citizen's level of conformity. Those who have low social credit are prohibited from buying plane tickets or starting businesses or taking out loans. In some cases, nonconformists have their mugshots broadcast across China on billboards and in movie theaters, labeling them publicly as antisocial. And Brian Freemuth asks the question, is America approaching this level of forced social conformity? To which he answers quite possibly. According to a Cato Institute study from 2017, 58% of Americans hold views that they are afraid to share with family, friends, and coworkers. Recently, Kyle Kashev, one of the famous survivors of the Parkland High School shooting, had his admission to Harvard revoked after a former classmate revealed that Kashev had, at the age of 16, used politically incorrect language online while chatting with some classmates. And the remarks that got Kashev's admission revoked were made three years ago showing that even a screen cap taken by some begrudging former colleague can end one's career. Now, you might be thinking, well, this kind of blacklisting only happens in elite progressive circles. Everyday Americans aren't in danger of losing their jobs, but you'd be wrong. Countless people have lost their ordinary middle class jobs due to violating progressive social dogma. In 2015, Ford fired Thomas Banks for expressing his disagreement with Ford's endorsement of Pride Month. Banks was simply questioning what selling cars had to do with gay pride and expressed discontent that the company tacitly included all of its employees and customers in the celebration. Several years later, a CrossFit trainer made the headlines when he was fired for criticizing the gay community on his own private Twitter account. It's getting worse, folks. It's not getting better. The Chinese regime has installed security cameras on traffic lights. It's pioneering facial recognition technology to track citizens and evaluate their social compliance. The United States just has a privatized version. Progressives equipped with smartphones arrive at every protest and demonstration ready to defame those who don't actively support their ideology. Now, remember, in Orwell's 1984, subjects of the totalitarian regime could be charged with face crime if their facial expressions conveyed suspicion or indicated anti-party beliefs. And that's exactly what we saw happen to Nick Sandman last January. Remember, they caught a picture of Sandman smirking while this Native American activist danced and beat a drum in front of him at a pro-life rally in Washington, D.C. Sandman's photo went viral And the media broadcast his face everywhere, defaming the 16-year-old as, say it with me, racist. But if this is a problem, then perhaps religious Americans ought to just accept their minority status and start their own businesses rather than interfere with the majority of Americans who at least seem to have no problem with the contemporary social dogma. There's more to this story, and we're going to come back to it in a few moments, but... Are you starting to connect the dots? This isn't about being polite to each other. This is about someone dictating what you may or may not think. 
That's evil. Let's call it what it is. It's evil. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. If you want to call in, here's your opportunity. 801-331-8113. I know I'm a little uh, extra passionate about uh, what I'm talking about today, but it's probably based on the idea that I am a big supporter of free speech. It's literally my bread and butter, and uh, it's, it's important because... I think of all the battles that are raging around us, and I'm not talking about the drone strikes here and, you know, secret covert ops going on there. The biggest battle that we are fighting right now is one that has been fought since the beginning of time. It's it's a battle of light versus darkness. It is a battle of will man be free. And I picked a side. And the side I have picked is I want to be on the side of freedom. And I, I I'm not trying to be dramatic when I tell you this, but... Every waking minute of my life is dedicated to what can I do to help promote the ideals and help promote the principles and practices that would lead us toward more freedom. Now, I'm certainly not alone in this. I I am privileged to keep company with so many people who likewise are wearing their lives out. In fact, I think they're doing so much. I feel like an absolute piker. I'm, I'm uh, I'm not doing nearly enough, but it matters enough to me that, uh, I have taken it on as a life mission. And and what this means is I don't want to force people. I don't even want to force people to be free. I just want to keep coercion to an absolute minimum, limited only to cases where, you know, someone's rights have been violated and perhaps coercion is necessary to see that justice occurs. And you'd be surprised what a heretic that can make you in certain circles. Yes, even in Republican conservative circles, because they're, they're faith in the state. The state is like a god to them. Laws are like a god to them. And they believe, why well, if everything if it wasn't under the control of the state, then by definition, it's got to be out of control. That's what statism is. And it is not just the progressives and those on the left who like to use that tactic. There's a lot of folks on the right. They just prefer Republican-flavored statism versus Democratic-flavored statism. But at the root of all statism is the lust to control and dominate others. And I can't remember if it was uh, if it was Aquinas or if it was um, Augustine. I think it was uh, St. Augustine who talked about libido dominandi, the lust to dominate other people. It's a part of human nature. And it's the reason why when the founders established the system that they did, they built in what are called auxiliary precautions to break up power centers, separate powers, and spread them out so that they wouldn't be too consolidated in one person or one group's hands. That was to prevent mischief. But we see a very active effort right now to break that down. This this crying and moaning about, well, Chris Pratt's wearing a shirt that says don't... Step on me or, you know, don't tread on me. And that's a white supremacist symbol. That's the biggest load of road apples that you're likely to encounter this side of, uh, you know, a rodeo pen. For crying out loud, 
Are we to believe then that everything associated with the quest for independence was wrong and based in white supremacy? By the way, there are those who think that. Some of them are even running for president. And some of them are getting called out, you know, on, on their, their rhetoric to that effect. Because the implication is then we have to reject everything that came before. And mind you, I'm not saying we need to be, we should worship and we should deify the founders. We should put them on a pedestal. Never, ever criticize them. Trust me, they were human. They had, mis- they made mistakes and they had quirks and they had failings just like you and me. But that doesn't change the fact that they also, in many ways, possessed deep character and convictions that they were willing to live up to. And without those, we would not have have achieved the result that they were able to achieve when they secured their independence from Britain, when they wrote the Constitution, when they launched this experiment in self-governance. It's not a complete failure yet, but we have definitely squandered much of the freedom that we were given. And I'm not telling you that to make you feel guilty. I'm just I'm trying to point out what may be an unpleasant truth, but nonetheless is a truth. We've taken it for granted. We've squandered it. We felt like, well, you know, other people can do the heavy lifting. (laughs) I've got better things to do. Guess what? If you want to be a free person, you have to be involved. You have to be active at some level. Going back here to the uh, article I was reading earlier by Brian Frymouth about how growing tyranny of political correctness in the mass media is overtaking our society. He made the suggestion, well, you know, if this is the problem, if everything is racist, if everything, you know, if everything you do is seen as out of step with what respectable America should do, then he says perhaps religious Americans ought to just accept their minority status and start their own businesses rather than interfere with the majority of Americans who at least seem to have no problem with this contemporary social dogma. But he says in practice, however, the start your own business solution doesn't seem to work out so well. Jack Phillips, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop, has been sued again, this time for refusing to bake a cake celebrating a sex change operation. Phillips was first famously sued for refusing to bake a cake to celebrate a same-sex wedding, owing to his Christian beliefs. And though the Supreme Court ruled in his favor back in 2018, the amount of media attention that Phillips and his business received ensured he would run into trouble again. And sure enough, here came a transgender activist to demand, you need to bake this cake for me. And when Jack Phillips said, I can't do that, well, then here comes the lawsuit. So the message is simple. Even if you own your own business, as soon as word gets out that you go against the agenda, you're going to be harassed. See, in China, you can know about Tiananmen Square. You just can't talk about it, at least not in a way that the Chinese state disapproves of. And while the softer despotism one can see across corporate America and within the university system isn't exactly state-sponsored, it still manages to ostracize and blacklist conservative Americans quite effectively if they express their views publicly. Now, Brian Freemuth says, unlike China, our social credit system doesn't have security cameras on every telephone pole and traffic signal yet. However, many Americans in the corporate, academic and small business world are already feeling the pressure of America's unofficial social policing system. I'm going to bring it back to one of the principles that's at stake here, and that is free speech. Thomas Knapp had a great article about how free speech really isn't that complicated. 
He says, it's hard to believe we have to have this conversation in this day and age, but we, if we don't have it or we don't keep having it at some point, we may not be allowed to have it. Here's the question. What is free speech or maybe what is not free speech? In 2017, former Vermont governor, presidential candidate and Democratic National Committee chairman Howard Dean informed the American public hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. That's one variation of the hate speech is not free speech claim. To which Thomas Knapp says, yes, hate speech is free speech. And yes, it's protected by the First Amendment. On July 12th, speaking at a White House social media summit, President Trump Opined that free speech is not when you see something good and then you purposely write bad. To me, that's a very dangerous speech and you become angry at it, but that's not free speech. Yes, calling something bad that Donald Trump calls good is free speech, too. And yes, it's also protected by the First Amendment. This shouldn't even be an issue. And it's not that complicated, folks. But for some reason, we're still making it complicated. Ever since the the framers enshrined freedom of speech in the Constitution... Americans have struggled with what, if any, limits can legitimately be placed on that freedom. Now, the law and the courts have carved out limited exceptions for things like speech directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action, true threats of violence and knowingly false speech aimed at defaming a person's character or defrauding others in a commercial sense. Like I'm selling you one ounce of gold when it's actually one ounce of lead with gold paint on it. And Thomas Knapp says there are plenty of reasonable arguments to be had about what, if any, exceptions to unfettered freedom of speech might make sense. But when it comes to matters of opinion, the only reasonable position you're entitled to have is that you're entitled to have opinions and express them, period. That means you're entitled to express them even if Howard Dean thinks they're hateful, even if Donald Trump thinks that he's good and you're making him look bad, even if they make someone angry or, to use the latest nonspecific catch-all complaint, unsafe. We don't have to agree with others' opinions. We don't have to like the manner in which others express their opinions. We don't even have to listen to other people when they express their opinions. But we don't get to stop them from expressing their opinions. Not even if you're Howard Dean or Donald Trump. Thomas Knapp says, in anything resembling a free society, that's just not negotiable. And he says, no politician who argues otherwise should ever win an election to the position of dog catcher, let alone governor or president. All right, I got some more great stuff coming up in the next hour, including one of the best lists ever of the kind of questions you should ask if you want to be more of a critical thinker. This is really good stuff. Stick around for it. Credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Want to know my secret to make a great looking lawn last even longer? All it takes.